Opening the Door is a podcast series that uses storytelling to help trainees and mentors understand the impact of bias and discrimination in the training environment and how to mitigate it. I'm our host, Krista Hoffman-Longton, and today I have with me Razi Nalim. Razi, thank you for being with us today. You're very welcome. As you may know, one of the ways that we start our podcast is often learning a little bit about our faculty members who are our featured guests. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and your training path that you took to get there? Certainly. I'm a professor in the Department of Mechanical and Energy Engineering, and I'm also Associate Dean for Research and Global Initiatives in the School of Engineering and Technology. I've been at IUPUI for about 22 or 23 years, starting as an assistant professor in 1997. Before that, I was at NASA Glenn Research Center in Ohio, and I've worked in industry in uh, a couple of small companies before that, and, and I did my graduate studies, my master's and PhD degrees in mechanical engineering and in aerospace engineering at Cornell University in upstate New York. And I was born in the country of Sri Lanka. So I've been an international student in two countries, in India, where I did my bachelor's degree, and then in the U.S. And it sounds like that your training path not only took you to kind of many different countries, but also took you to many different organizations. Can you talk a little bit about how the environment for training maybe varied from place to place where you went? Certainly. So as I traveled around and went from one country to another, certainly I found that the educational systems, the training systems had significant differences that I had to learn about. So it wasn't just learning about the subject matter it was also figuring out you know how the systems worked and how to be successful in each of those systems certainly coming to graduate school in the US was a huge jump for me i had never really given much thought to most of my life before that so so there's a lot that i learned along the way about the higher education systems in different countries. And I'm very grateful for that because as Associate Dean for Global Initiatives, that allows me to really help students from many countries find their way to the US and to IUPUI and to be successful here in their uh, careers and professions. That's a great point though, that I don't know that maybe non-minoritized faculty members or faculty members who are trained for, for most of their training in the United States really think about is the idea that in addition to learning the content area of graduate school, that they're also, are, for our international students, are also learning a new culture, they're learning a new higher education system, and that can yeah. have its own fair share of burdens. Can you right. talk a little bit more about kind of how you traversed those different environments and what you learned in the process? Certainly. So, you know, I um, was a first generation college student in a way, although my father had a university degree, he got that through a remote or distance learning process, didn't really go to college as such. But I, I really didn't have significant difficulty when I went to college in India. I enjoyed my time there. It was a much bigger country than the one that I grew up in. So it was certainly a huge change for me, but it was one that I, at that age and in that circumstance, I thoroughly enjoyed and really did not feel disadvantaged in any way being, you know, in a foreign country, certainly, but in a a very supportive environment where I was. However, when I finished my undergraduate studies, 
I hadn't really given much thought to graduate study. And when I found that I had done well in my undergraduate degree, and most of my classmates who had done were planning on graduate study in the U.S., I began to give that some thought and I applied to a number of universities and I was accepted into several and Cornell University was considered, you know, the top one of those and I decided to come to the U.S. to Cornell. But, you know, I, being, a, again, a, certainly a first-generation graduate student, I, I really not had anyone my family or any friends outside of my classmates that could guide me on what to expect in graduate school, what it really meant to do research in engineering, the terminology about the different fields and so on. So that was a significant challenge. It didn't help that I had some health problems in my first semester. But apart from that, I certainly would, you know, looking back, would have benefited from some perhaps a broader range of mentors than what I had at the time. Thank you for sharing your story. I think that it does really illustrate just how important it is, as you said, the benefit of having the right kind of mentors given the breadth of experiences that you had had at that time. I'd like to transition a little bit to talk about a story of a time in your training career when you may have experienced bias or a microaggression in the environment and hear a little bit more about how you were able to deal with that. So I understand you have a story to share with us today. The story is about my first mentor in graduate school when I was in a master's program for the first time. I was given a fellowship that allowed me some flexibility in choosing a major advisor, thankfully, but I was assigned someone to start with. And I now know that he really had the best of intentions and and really was a remarkable uh, researcher in engineering, had some very seminal contributions that um, that he made, and I have you know have have tremendous admiration for what he's accomplished. At the time, I didn't know much of that. I had I was offered uh, some different possible projects, and I think I hit it off very well with him. He I think was able to communicate effectively about what what his ideas were in terms of the subjects, and um, I had grown up you know, speaking English as my first language. And, and I think, uh, like many others, people who, who met me took it for granted that, you know, I understood what was going on, although I really didn't. Just being able to speak the language is not enough, and just in terms of the general language, although it certainly was a different dialect than the American dialect. But what I did not understand is how research really related to the real world. And I you know, I had no one who could really explain that to me. And I was concerned that the research was so abstract that I couldn't think of how it would help people in the real world. And I expressed that to him and he was not very understanding, unfortunately, about just that that factor. And I think that's probably uh, more likely to happen with someone from a disadvantaged background whose motivation is primarily to see how you can learn something to help people. So during that conversation, he said something like, if you don't really like to do engineering, perhaps you should consider technology. Now, at the time, I didn't quite know what that terminology meant. I do now. And I gave that some thought and I realized that he was perhaps disappointed in me. And, and that, was, that was very difficult. 
That sounds um, like a really hard experience. I mean, and, and f- correct me if I'm wrong, for those of us that are not in the engineering field, what was he insinuating when he suggested that you right, a different field? Right. Perhaps for the folks from a biomedical background, the analogy might be, let's say I am a student that's been admitted to an MD, PhD program. You know, I've done academically very well and I'm intent on becoming a physician and a researcher, and I want to help people with the knowledge that I would gain, right? And so I talked to my mentor about how I want to help people, how I want to make people better and healthier, people from my community and others. And I need help in understanding how a particular research direction is going to help people. Now, For someone that has experience in how medical research works, they could make the connection that if this particular challenge in a biomedical problem could be solved, that would have implications for the health of many, many people. But I'm not able to see that starting out because I don't have the background. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any people in my family that could help me understand that. So I'm not finding a way that, that to understand how this time and effort that I would put in is going to help me serve my community or improve the health of my community. And in that conversation, my mentor says, maybe you should consider nursing. Now, that is not to diminish the value of nursing. It's not to diminish the value of the technology degree as opposed to the engineering degree. But for someone that is very capable of doing what it takes to become a physician and a PhD in a biomedical field, to be told that maybe you should become a nurse is probably analogous to what was being told to me. Although I didn't completely get the meaning of that right, right away, but now I do. And it's, it's something that you know, has been on my mind since then, you know, since I've begun to, you know, I later understood what the distinctions were. Absolutely. It's a really powerful story, I think, for two reasons. First, I think it does illustrate the idea that for many students whose families don't necessarily have college degrees, the idea of of basic research or of foundational research may be not only unfamiliar, but as you said, also not as motivational because you don't know the field as well to fully understand. So I think that there's that piece. And then I think that the second piece is that it does sound a little bit like he was saying that just simply by asking the question may have indicated that you were incapable of performing at that level. That must have been really hard for you. Well, you know, thankfully, in a way, I didn't quite understand what technology meant But I realized that he was a little disappointed in me and I decided to use the flexibility that I had to choose a different major and I was successful. I realized also that I was not quite prepared for the very fundamental research it would take to do for a PhD and I wanted to get some professional experience. So I decided to find a job as a professional engineer and I worked in industry for about four years before I went back for my PhD when I felt ready to continue that journey. So the realization of what that comment meant came to me slowly over many years. But I feel that it came out of an understandable sense of frustration that he had with a student that was capable of, you know, doing something, but was not ready for that research project that he had in mind. 
That's a really good point that in a lot of ways, our experiences make up our professional identity. And we often seek out experiences to fill the gaps in being able to develop that sense of identity. And so for you, it sounds like that might have been going into industry a little bit. Yes. And I'm glad I have no regrets about it. I'm glad I spent that time in industry really learning what it means to work as a professional engineer and and gaining that experience and insight. And I think that helps me tremendously today in my work as a teacher and as a researcher in in both applied and fundamental areas. So Razi, what do you know now that you wish you would have known when you were kind of starting out in your career? Or another way of asking that question is, if you think about the students that you have now, what kind of advice do you give them, the students who are early in their professional development, particularly as it relates to some of the challenges that you've talked about today? I think I have a better appreciation for the wide range of backgrounds that students could be coming from, from different countries or from different demographic backgrounds, even if they were from the same city, let's say from Indianapolis, you know, so I have lived in Marion County and I live in in Hamilton County. And, you know, I have experience as I raised my children in different school systems in the U.S. about how students can often receive not quite the best advice even in their high school from their mentors, for example, about career paths. So I feel like I've, uh, I've really benefited from the varied experiences that I've had in being able to advise an undergraduate student or a graduate student in our programs while paying attention to their particular backgrounds and learning about their particular backgrounds, whether they're from a minority group or whether I'm uh, advising a female student versus a male student. And I try to see how I could not only mentor them myself, but uh, have an environment around them of other students where they'll be able to learn quickly about how to succeed as an undergraduate student or especially as a graduate student, because I feel like At IPUI, we've made a lot of progress in our overall system of helping minority students in particular and women in engineering as well to be successful at the undergraduate level. But I think we have a lot of work to do at the graduate level. And I just actually just submitted a proposal to the National Science Foundation on graduate research training that actually helped me in that process to learn about the resources that IUPUI has for mentoring graduate students and helping students from different different backgrounds to be successful. That's a great point. It sounds like the experiences that you have had have helped you to mentor students, not in spite of their identities, but because of their identities, right? So the way that you approach supporting students is informed by their experiences. Yes, yes. And I think every student comes with something in their experience that can actually be a very positive fact in uh, their approach to their program of study and their success. And I try to look for that. So I I don't know if this is an apt analogy, but, you know, I, I sometimes put together a group of students to work on a project together. And I might find that in engineering, for instance, we may have, I don't want to stereotype, but You know, we may have someone that grew up on a farm in Indiana with a lot of hands-on practical skills and someone from 
another country that perhaps did not have, maybe not very industrialized, but, you know, had, had a great training in just mathematics and, and science and so on. And, and they could learn a lot from each other, but they would need a little bit of guidance to understand themselves and to understand the other students and how their backgrounds might be different. Because if I didn't, if I didn't help them with a little guidance, it's quite possible that there would be a great deal of miscommunication and misunderstanding and sometimes conflict. And I've seen that happen. And, and so um, I try to look for how we could turn those differences into positives rather than negatives. Well, that's great. I think that that really helps so many mentors think through not only how are they supporting individual students, but also supporting teams of students, as we know much of the research endeavor is certainly not an individualized sport, if you will. It's a team-based sport. So I think that coming with that sense of a strengths-based approach can be a really critical part of ensuring that mentoring can be successful. Absolutely. We all, as professors, probably spend not enough time with our mentees and, and, and students because of many different time pressures that we have. So typically, the student is going to spend a lot more time with their fellow students learning from each other than the amount of time that they would spend with the professor. So it's really important to look at how students learn from each other, even if they're not in a formal uh, sort of team project together. Often they are, but, but maybe not sometimes. They may still be working on individual theses and dissertations that have, you know, different directions. They would be still part of my group or my team and would be learning a lot from each other. Well, thank you so much, Razi. It was really great to have you today. And I appreciate your sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you very much for having me on the program. I really enjoyed talking about my experiences and reflecting back as well as I enjoyed hearing about what you're doing very much, Krista. Thank you. Opening the Door is a podcast series that uses storytelling to help trainees and mentors understand the impact of bias and discrimination in the training environment and how to mitigate it. I'm your host, Krista Hoffman-Longton. Thank you for being with us today.